Seahawks fans, wherever you may be. Welcome back for another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alvstead, and co-host, sports writer and football analyst, Keith Myers, as we talk Seahawks football. Hey, Seahawks fans, welcome back to another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Alvstead, here as usual with Mr. Keith Myers, and we've got a special guest today. Uh, Dana O'Gorman from Our Turf Football is going to be joining us in just a minute. But I wanted to check in with Keith real quick and find out how you're doing because you've kind of disappeared on me uh, online and uh, I've been texting you and, and uh, it sounds like you're just really busy and you took a, a brief minute to uh, take a time out and, and join us on the show again today. So just want to say well, hi. I wouldn't, I wouldn't miss the show um, <laughs> in part because we're 182 weeks into this without having missed a there show. There's a little bit of peer pressure on that. Yeah, there is. It's like one of those things where I, I, I now like no matter what's happening, you know, I could be getting my leg amputated and I still got to get oh, on here and record the show because we've been, we've been in it for this much, but um, no, actually I've just been busy with the business with the vet clinic um, going and it's been crazy. And I'm sorry that I haven't been as responsive as I normally am on text and Twitter and whatnot, but uh, I am here. And I am prepared and I am ready for what I hope is going to be a very fun show. Okay. So let's get to our guest, Dana O'Gorman from Archer Football. Uh, Dana comes to us um, as a third time uh, participant in our show. So we're just really thankful. One time she guest hosted uh, uh, with Keith in place of me, which I was very thankful for. And last mm-hmm. year she came on and we about the same time uh, frame and, and talked Seahawk football. Um, and she's the senior NFL reporter uh, covering the NFC West and the AFC West. Dana O'Gorman, tell me what's going on. Welcome to the show. Anything out there you want to promote currently that you're doing? Well, thanks for having me back. I always have such a great time when I do this show because I can focus solely on the Seahawks. Now, I know we're going to talk about other things today, but it is a lot of fun when we can when I can kind of narrow down my focus just a little bit. Yeah, so um, it's been a fun year for me between the NFC West and the AFC West. <laughs> this last season, I was, I was pretty busy um, over at Our Turf. But um, yeah, now we're just, you know, just like everyone else, trying to get in the groove of things, adjust to the new um, parameters that we as reporters have to live by. Um, I can say I've, I've never had so many emails from the Pro Football Writers Association before because things change daily on what we're – going to be able to do and not be able to do. It's just been crazy. And so um, nothing on the level of what the players have to deal with, but it's been interesting. But over at Our Turf, we decided that we were pretty sad for the Hall of Famers this year. It was supposed to be the big class. There's 20 people going in. It was a centennial. It was supposed to be huge and everything got canceled. And so we are focusing in July and August on those um, Hall of Famers, trying to give them a little more um, love since they're not going to get their ceremony this year. Um, and, and so that's what we've been focusing on, of course, until training camp comes, um, where we will have new in- information to share about our teams, hopefully, depending on yeah, what's going to happen. No doubt. Awesome. Well, yeah, it's great to have you back. Thank you for joining us. Um, today, we're going to be taking a, a big, broad look around the, uh, the NFL. Uh, as well as the second half of the show, we're going to bring it back to the Seahawks, the NFC West and the Seahawks. Uh, so we'll have plenty of time to get into all that. Um, just wanted to start off uh, initially just going over a couple of different uh, news items uh, within the league um, that, that kind of tie into the Seahawks, tie into everything else we're, we're doing. It sounds like Antonio Brown 
Uh, I want to talk about this briefly only because it sounds like the Seahawks took a deep dive look, quote unquote, into Antonio Brown. And then Antonio Brown announces his retirement. So let me ask you this, Keith. Do do those two things uh, work together in concert or are those completely independent things that are just a big coincidence? I think they work together. I think what happened is... um, the Seahawks took the deep dive looking in. I think they were the only team really interested. They had Russell Wilson uh, pushing for this to happen. And the team goes, you know what? Nope, we're not interested. And I think that was the writing on the wall that uh, it might be in Antonio Brown's best interest to not have his name be floated around as this guy that is out of work and out of work for the wrong reasons. Um, let him go take care of that stuff and then he can unretire in a year or, um, or two and, and come back in and not have had all this stuff floating around about him the whole time that he's been out. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Do you have a take on that Dana? You know, I think it's much the same. If he wasn't, let's be honest, the Seahawks are known for giving second chances. I mean, that's what they do. Right. And so if the Seahawks took a long look at him and, and they said, no, thanks. I, I can't imagine there would be another team out there unless one that was super desperate. So plus the loom of, they have no idea what the NFL is going to do. I mean, are they still going to, you know, suspend him, find, do whatever, you know, they're going to do because, you know, we're, we're wondering what kind of footing Antonio Brown is on in his personal life because he keeps coming back and forth out of these settlements with these people. And so I think it's just a little too risky you know, um, we kind of, yeah, I would have an issue. I think person, just personally, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel right. Uh, there's a lot of moral questions to the whole. It's just kind of icky. And and do you want to start off an already questionable season with that on your plate also? Now you mentioned second chances. How about eight chances? How about a guy (laughs) like Josh Gordon? I bring him in (laughs) seven, uh, suspensions, you know, for, uh, different reasons, uh, quite a few of, the, of, of uh, just drug use, uh, uh, testing um, issues. And the Seahawks seem likely, at least the reporting I'm getting um, from like John Clayton and stuff, think that if he is reinstated, the Seahawks will attempt to, to bring him in. And I think that would probably end up being good. Uh, um, I know Keith, you've talked about Josh Gordon kind of already being as part of the wide receiver group heading into the season almost. Um, thinking that maybe this is already a done deal and it's just a matter of him being reinstated. Yeah. I mean, I think that the way that both the, the uh, team has talked about it and just the way the reporting has been and the fact that he's been here in town, it does sound like if he's reinstated that he will be signing with Seattle very quickly. Uh, It it also make, would make sense that he is going to get reinstated because the things that he has been uh, suspended for seven different times um, are no longer illegal with a new CBA. So I can't imagine them finding a reason to keep him away from the game. So now do you think, think he faces a suspension before he gets reinstated or is it just, Hey, we're going to start f- from scratch and you can, you can play game one. I would expect to just start from scratch game one. Cause again, they'd be suspending him for something that's no longer illegal. And I don't see them doing that. Michael Bennett retires after 11 years in the NFL, 69 and a half sacks, three Pro Bowls with the Seahawks and a Super Bowl ring. Um, I hate to see him go. Uh, It seems like it's kind of fitting, though, with the whole COVID-19 thing going on, and he hasn't been signed yet. Um, I'm sure he's kind of kept himself in shape just in case, but 
um, probably a good time for him to kind of leave it, leave it there, leave his record intact uh, for what he's already done and, uh, and to go out the way that he did. Any thoughts about Michael Bennett, uh, Dana? You know, I, I'm sad that Michael Bennett is leaving the league. You know, he was, well, he was kind of a pain in the butt. Let's just be honest. That's just who Michael Bennett was, but he was a fantastic football player and so fun to watch and, and dynamic. And, and when he left Seattle, I was, I was sad because I knew that we would miss that on the field, that what he brought um, and the fact that it came on, on the heels of Averill and Cam Chancellor. I mean, it was just so much at once and, and that was sad. But watching him go into the, the, you know, the other teams that he played with, you could just see that maybe the zip wasn't there, that the passion maybe wasn't there quite as much. Um, and so I'm interested. You know, it's been fascinating to watch what his brother has done post-NFL I think it's going to be just as fascinating to watch what Michael Bennett does post NFL. And so while I'm sad to see him go, um, because I think he did bring so much to football, it'll be interesting. I'm, I'm excited to see what's next. Yeah. You know, when he was signed along with Cliff Averill, you know, for a combined, what, $10, $10 million or whatever a year um, at the time, those two signings solidified that entire line mm-hmm. and, and propelled that defense to, to really what it was. I mean, I thought those two guys in particular were the difference makers uh, for that, that season and getting into the Super Bowl. Um, and it, it's just interesting, the contrast between then and now. We're in a similar situation. We've got an open window for the Super Bowl. And it seems like all we've really been lacking is that, um, that defensive line presence uh, that's, that's at the next level. Uh, to, to get the pressure, to get the sacks, et cetera. And it'll be, you know, we'll get into the Seahawks discussion later, but it's it remains to be seen. There's a lot of hope, a lot of promise on our defensive line, but not a lot of proven commodity after, you know, after the starter level. And so uh, that'll, be, that'll be really interesting. Speaking of uh, Seahawks and, and just the NFL in general, training camp, is coming up. There's been a lot of discussion in the last week, and I'm surprised they really didn't handle this earlier um, than just, you know, trying to cram it all in at, at, at this week about the coronavirus concerns, training camp, the rookies are supposed to report all the players by uh, July 28th. Originally, they've still had key issues unresolved, uh, the infectious disease emergency response plans, how many preseason games are we going to have, the frequency of testing. All the players kind of came together this weekend, including Russell Wilson. They kind of made a, a little publicity blitz on uh, social media about uh, player safety and all that stuff. I just want to get some thoughts, generally speaking, of how you guys think the NFL has handled this as well as the players association and the players about training camp and coming together and realistic expectations and maybe a broader discussion about COVID-19 in general and how that might affect the league uh, this year. Let's start with Dana. You know, it's, it's a little irritating and we've been seeing this all over, you know, social media that, this was the league that had the longest to prepare. They were the ones that had all of these months to figure it out and they just kept waiting. Now, if you look at it from a business side, I understand why they did it. They were waiting to put this plan together because we didn't know what these months would bring. They also seem to be waiting to see how Major League Soccer and the NBA did it in their bubble scenario with their tournament, how that turned out, how much testing did they need to stay on top of it, that sort of thing. So I think they were taking in that information too. And of course, those MLS started a few weeks ago, NBA starts next week. And so I think that 
that that there had to be a little hesitation. And yet one would think they would have had something put together. And maybe they did. Maybe they have had this idea all along and the NFLPA just wasn't having it. And it seems to be that it really came down to a couple of key issues with the preseason games and how often they were testing. Um, and then the money, of course, always about the money and what happens if some, I mean, there's just, there's so much to it. Um, I think it sounds like they're pretty close, if not almost basically done with their idea. And I keep saying idea <laughs> of, of how this is going to work. Um, some teams have already got their rookies in. I know like the Chiefs have already got their rookies in today. Um, and so that's why all of a sudden you see all these rookie signings because they've actually managed to show up in in their um, in their actual um, facilities. So I think that the plan and, and way they have it, it sounds good on paper, whether that will translate over to, you know, actually working and functioning. I think there was a release, I just read a little bit ago that there were 98 players that had tested positive at some point. Um, and so, you know, where they're at with the, that's, that's, that's a large number. I mean, we have to keep that in mind, but we have to figure out how that's going to transfer over. Now, I know with um, MLS, because I am an MLS fan, I've been seeing on Instagram a bunch of the families, they get boxes of food from the team every single week. So I know the Colorado Rapids, um, they are sending the families these giant boxes of meals and food and everything. And I think it's to keep them from going out, having to go to the grocery store so they can continue that bubble at home. So I always wonder to myself, what happens after training camp? What happens when those guys aren't in your control all the time anymore? I think that that's going to be an interesting spin to it. Yeah. Well, the the NFL just came out um, and offered zero preseason games, which the NFL Players Association uh, accepted. They wanted that all along. I think the the final pressure of all of those social media posts by all the 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 players really kind of pushed that, got that done. Uh, sounds like, uh, you know, the players who test positive will be placed on IR now, so they'll get paid. That's a three-week thing. Um, the frequency of the testing uh, in the first two weeks is every day. And after that, if there's less than 5% positivity rate, uh, that testing can step down a little bit. But that also coincides with the, you know, the regular season getting closer as well. Um, interesting. Keith, any thoughts on in general like are we gonna make it like is this plan a viable plan to get us to the regular season and once the regular season starts as dana said when players are at home and things are you know kind of almost back to normal quote unquote minus all the fans in the stands i just don't think that that's probably in the cards um do you see the season unfolding and making it to an end date I kind of do, um, but at this time, like, there's a lot that can still go wrong. As we said in our, our show where we just talked COVID the whole time, um, there's a lot, lot that can go wrong here. I, it sounds like um, they've got a testing plan in place to get everybody in, everybody tested, um, and everybody tested daily for a while to make sure that we don't have, we don't end up with these, like, uh, an outbreak where it you know, takes a team down or something because as soon as someone tests positive, bam, they're in isolation and they're away from the team and, and they can you know, get it under control and they have to, you know, they're out for three weeks on, on injured reserve and that's instant, right? They, the teams don't have a choice on whether they put someone on injured reserve if, with positive tests. They just automatically get shelved. Um, and so things like that, I think they can, it can really help avoid 
this kind of like massive, well, guess what? You know, every member of the Saints just tested positive and now they can't play for a month Um, or, you know, something like that. But at the same time, like the players have to, they have to do their part and they have to be willing to not go to the bars and, uh, you know, stay kind of within their own little bubble uh, with around the team and their family and um, do the things that they need to do to make sure that they're not creating excess, excess exposure for themselves and then their teammates and thus the league as a whole. And you know that a lot of the guys will do that and there will always be a few that won't. And the question is, is will there, is the testing going to be the turnaround time going to be quick enough that those that don't, uh, take it seriously enough that will, you know, those of them, a few of them will get it. Can they get it? Can they stop it from infecting the rest of the league? I think the current plan sounds like they will, but it's, you know, we'll see. I mean, it's, it's a, I think it'll work, but there's no guarantee. Let me ask you guys this. Is it a, an ethical question as to whether or not um, the players and coaches and, and, and other uh, associates around the teams get testing every day and we expect those tests to be coming back within a reasonable amount of time, either instantaneously like 15, 20 minute, 30 minute responses or within 24 hours. When, for example, I live in Arizona, it's really bad here. Uh, people that need or, or want to get a test sometimes, uh, struggle to find that. And then once they do testing is not uh, returning results for up to seven to uh, 10 days, which nullifies the, the contact tracing and anything else around that. Um, so while I don't have the option of having quick testing and, and, um, and uh, those results, is it, is it ethical to have football players and coaches and stuff have that available to them? No, I mean, yes and no. I, I you know, it's, it's so hard. So what the NBA has done in MLS is they basically bought their own lab. They bought a lab. They do only testing for those people. And is it, is it right to take up those resources? I, I mean, I guess yes and no. I, it depends on how you look at it because it, they should be out there helping the community. And yet they're trying to keep people in jobs and not just football players. We're talking about stadium workers and front office people and, you know, not high up. I'm talking about the guy who stands at the guard door. You know what I mean? And so they're, so being able to do that testing quickly is, is, is important for them too. But at the same time, these are private labs. They're paying for this testing. This isn't, this does not take away from the public labs that are out there for everyone. I want to piggyback on something though, if that's okay, what Keith said, I want to talk about, you know, the, the testing and, and so they have a guy who tests positive, they put him on IR for three weeks. And if I read, if I remember what I'm reading, what I read correctly, they said then at three weeks, they have to make a decision whether, you know, taking them off or if they're going to play. Well, if you go back and read Von Miller's story, three weeks is not enough. Von Miller was sick and he was sick for a month and he said forever that he was still not at a hundred percent. And so then you have to go and look at, is that enough time? Yes, it's past the 14 days, you know, window that we were all talking about, but is it going to be enough for all players? And do they need just an extra week? Do they not? And so this, this puts a lot on the shoulders of the team 
to make those really tough decisions. Because let's say Russell Wilson ends up with COVID. He has three weeks. He still has a bit of a cough, isn't feeling great, but he could play. Do you bring him back? Do you not bring, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's so much more ethically and morally questionable about having a season at all than just the testing. Well, that's, I think why it it made sense that that everyone was talking about maybe expanding the rosters a little bit because you could bring Mm -hmm. a guy off IR in week four Mm -hmm. um, and still not make him available during the game, you know, have him on the roster. So we'll see how that works out. This is not going to be a perfect thing. As we go through the year, this thing's going to get messy and evolve, I think, probably over time. See how it goes. Yeah. Um, let's talk about and, the uh, the football uh, club in Washington D.C. Um, they they announced about ethics. Uh, yeah, they well. <laughs> this this is an interesting situation because what has been going on with all of the protests and uh, folks around the country taking a deeper look into how this affects uh, the African. African-American community and other uh, minority communities in the country has put a lot of pressure on, um, on different people and organizations to change, change behavior. That's a good thing. And it so happens that it, it provoked a, a change to the formerly uh, known Redskins Club, Washington Redskins. They decided they would do an internal review on the name and uh, the result of that was that they announced they were going to do a name change, although they did not announce the name. I thought that was kind of screwed up, but beyond that, I'm good to see that that is happening. Um, so I want to talk about that as one issue. And then a separate issue is the fact uh, that uh, just this last week, 15 women, according to the Washington Post, have accused staffers, including director-level employees of sexual harassment. And apparently owner Dan Schneider is not directly accused but he may have fostered that culture. And, you know, the team has out, uh, hired an outside counsel, uh, attorney Beth Wilkinson, to do an unbiased independent review. But that's an internal review. That's not like an external NFL review on this. Um, and I wanted to follow up with you guys on that, how you think maybe that, um, that will turn out, um, if it's a good thing to have this sort of thing exposed. And... Uh, I wanted to ask you specifically, Dana, as a woman in this business, how this affects you as a person and um, how you see this thing moving forward in in time that creates a better atmosphere, a work atmosphere for you. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I'd like to get back to the forcing the name change. I think that that's, and it was a force. Don't think Dan Snyder did that on his own. It was completely forced. Absolutely. He did not want to do it and he was forced into it. So we'll get back to that. But for the sexual assault, you know, there was a story that came out a couple of years ago about cheerleaders um, for that organization and how um, when they were um, off doing their calendar shoot that sweet owners and business partners got to come along and they got to, you know, hang out with them while they were basically half naked doing this calendar shoot. And then afterwards there was a hand pick hand picking of about seven of them to come to a yacht party where they were required to flirt and do this and do that. So there's been a question mark about this league or about this team 
for a while. And that story was real big. And then it just kind of disappeared because the season started, other people had stuff to talk about. So it wasn't overly surprising to me when this story came out of the Washington Post. Now the, ma- the magnitude of it, the number of people surprised me. I'm not going to lie. But just because simply I didn't know that the Washington football team would have had that many female employees, to be quite honest with you, because they've had this reputation. But what it does is shine a light on what I call small incidences. These are not, you know, you know, that no one was abused, you know, physically abused or anything that, you know, usually gets the big numbers. These were little microaggressions that happened to these women every single day, all day. And they are very common in sports. But you've seen in other sports where they're starting to deal with that. They're starting to get a lot more women involved. They were a little more progressive. And the NFL was kind of the last bastion of the old boys club. And it, it got away with a lot because of the size and the popularity of the sport. Um, and so people let, you know, things like that go for a long time. And I think because where we are socially in our world right now, like you mentioned earlier, um, with Black Lives Matter and things like that that came up that not only did you know, force the name change also, um, I think that it's no longer going to be accepted. The, the hand will be forced Um, to stop these things and call them out. But I will say this, hiring a woman to be the internal person might look good on paper. It's going to take more than that. This is going to take the league. This is going to take, you know, pressure from outside sources. It's not just going to be like, oh, we'll handle it internally. We promise pat on the shoulder and then it's going to go. But I can tell you this, I personally have met some amazing men doing the job that I do and, and people who are so men who are so excited to have more women in this league and, and reporting and working in the offices and that sort of thing. I I have gotten some great feedback from people who are just that men who are just so happy that we're there. Um, There is always one or two that stand out. And unfortunately, you know, those bad apples, not even just in football ruin it for everyone. But I can tell you that I think it's getting better but it's going to be little pockets like this that'll have to be cleaned up. Yeah. Well, and it's part of this, you know, this is part of the process of cleaning it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, it happens in, uh, with, with the team in Washington. Uh, you had mentioned that it's, it's, it's highly likely it's a more systemic issue. Uh, league-wise is probably not the only team, although uh, that particular team, that particular owner stand out above others. But it's probably occurring in in multiple mm-hmm. facilities and so forth, and in in the industry in general, uh, you know, women uh, fight this this battle. I know in the software industry where my mm-hmm. wife resides, yeah. uh, they have their own issues um, with regards to that, and the, the the boys' club and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. exists. There are certain situations, certain meetings, that'll be in the dozens and dozens of people, and she might be the only woman. Mm-hmm. in that meeting, you know, so it's, it's just one of those deals. Um, I'm going to jump in here and I'm going to, I'm going to uh, say something about this. The only surprise from the story was that Dan Snyder himself was not implicated. I that agree. literally was the mm-hmm. only, that's the only surprise because the idea that this happened in Washington is 
absolutely not surprising whatsoever, given that particular organization. And I know it was like, oh, well, he might have fostered a culture. He absolutely fostered a culture. This has been a repeated problem over and over and over again with that organization under that owner, and it never gets cleaned up. Why does it not get cleaned up? Because he doesn't care. He honestly doesn't care. He only cares about the public perception. He wants people to show up uh, to watch uh, stuff on game day. And as long as that wasn't in jeopardy, he didn't care. It doesn't seem like, it doesn't seem like this incident is enough for the league to come together to force an ownership change, for example, like what happened with the Clippers. I don't remember the guy's name, you know, but that happened about a, you know, 10 years ago at this point. Um, Mm -hmm. I I just, I'm having a hard time seeing the NFL coming together, all 32 clubs voting to force an owner out or something like that. Mm-hmm. I, but can we affect change? Can can there be enough pressure to make it so this doesn't happen again? I don't I don't know. And you mentioned think, John uh, Schneider being a guy that just doesn't care. I agree with you. And so, what makes this any different long term? It's remain to be seen. I guess all that can be done is that um, you know the silence has to be constantly broken that, and that's going to come down to these people who are having these aggressions, you know, put upon them. These, these women, they have to be vocal. And yes, women are constantly, you know, as I said in the article, you know, they're scared about losing their job. Well, they lose your job. And then, you know what I mean? You say, and that's easy for me to say sitting here and it's very hard when you're in the situation, but women in football, women in sports, isn't new anymore. And so now with more eyeballs being on that situation and, and more voices being heard, hopefully the threat of being outed will affect some change. For Dan Snyder, I don't think so. I really think that he just kind of thinks he believe, lives above the world and can do what he wants. And, and he's going to be mad enough about having to change this football team's name. But I think, so I completely agree with Keith on that. But I do think now that the eyeballs are on it, and there'll be on every team that that will be helpful too. So let's. Uh, one thing I could say is it. What might happen here is, I mean, he doesn't want to. He does not want to sell the team, and it's going to be kind of have to be forced. But he can get away with not having to sell his entire stake in the team. And what if you, you know, he owns sixty percent of the team. Well, he's got minority hunters that own, um, you know, in that other forty percent that are left. If he could drop his stake in the team down below that that threshold so that somebody else becomes the um managing partner the, the you know the, the the majority owner um then we could probably see a culture change and he would still own you know 40 percent of that team and still make in a bunch of money and all of that um but we could still see some change there. And that's kind of what I'm hoping for. I don't expect the league won't. They, the league has this uh, apprehension of telling owners what to do with their team. And rightfully so. Um, the instance what happened when uh, Steve Ballmer bought the Clippers is just absolutely a unicorn, right? I mean, you've got an owner making all these racist statements and whatnot, and it was recorded. And, um, you know, that just, that was untenable. Like basically you had um, that entire organization, all the players and um, a very popular, well-known head coach in Doc Rivers all say, we're done. We're not going to play for this team. We're not going to 
I'm not, we're not going to work for this organization. Yes, we have contracts, but too bad. You're going to have one less team for all these games. The, 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 when they came out and did that, the, the league had to step in. And it was in the best interest of the other uh, 27 owners to step in and, and force that sale. Um, we don't have that here. We don't have uh, players refusing to uh, play. We don't have an organization that's going to disappear if they don't do something. Um, and, and that's why I don't foresee the league getting involved unless they're, they're you know, behind the scenes making this negotiation happen to get someone else the controlling interest. Yeah, interesting. All right, let's switch gears. Uh, let's talk about some fun stuff now. Um, interesting uh, storylines to follow uh, this year with regards to most improved teams. Uh, I wanted to just talk about your ideas on uh, most improved teams. I got, I have my own. I think Miami and Arizona are probably going to be in the top two of that conversation. Uh, but I wanted to kind of throw it back to you guys and see where you're at with um, teams that you think are most improved this year that can maybe you know, change the dynamic of their divisions. Either one of you guys. Um, well, you know, I do, I, I agree with Miami. I think that we, what we saw last year was, you know, purposeful by Brian Flores. It was, you know, cleaning out that locker room, putting in guys that he wanted. And yeah, they, you know, were a terrible team last year. But he got exactly what he wanted, which was a blank slate and a million draft picks. And so yeah. I think that that's going to be um, a lot of fun to watch and see him take that really young team and, and see what he can do with it. So I'm excited for that. And then, of course, adding in Tua, you know, that's kind of the wild card, but it'll be, it'll be real fun to watch. Yeah, he may not end up playing this year. Um, in fact, uh, it would be interesting to see if he, if he did. Uh, but uh, given the fact that it might be a redshirt year, um, for them, uh, you know, to have him fall into their laps at one five overall in the draft. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had a great draft. If you take a look all the way through their draft, I mean, it was stellar. Mm-hmm. Um, plus adding, uh, Byron Jones at, at corner, um, and a, and a couple other folks. I just think that they've got a real chance to, uh, to have quite a few, uh, win improvements this year from, you know, three or whatever they had, to, Seven, I think, is is totally doable um, with that roster. I mean, it's going to be young, like you said, but exciting for them um, going going forward, no doubt. Right. Keith, I think that'll be think? fun. Oh, I was. In, can I say okay. one more thing? Yeah, too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also am really excited to see what happens in Denver. So I, I, I I'm not talk to you about go. the AFC West. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm not a huge quarterback fan. But I'm, I think Drew Locke, what we saw from him at the end of last year, I think that we could really kind of see a spark out of him. They had a fantastic draft. Um, are they going to compete, and we'll talk about this later, compete with the Chiefs? Uh, no. I, I doubt it. I never say never because you never know what this is like. But I doubt it. But at the same time, I think, I think that they're one of those teams that's starting to kind of find some footing to kind of work its way up to. Sorry. Yeah. No, interesting. Yeah, Keith, go ahead. I was, gonna say, I, I was actually going to bring up Denver. I think they're a um, they're definitely in the running as one of the most improved teams this year. But I think one of the teams, if we're looking at just change in in, in win total, um, the team that everyone seems to be forgetting about, I think, is Buffalo. 
and mm-hmm. uh, they that roster is as good as you'll find in the NFL. Um, it's it's like them and Kansas City and maybe San Francisco as far as roster top to bottom. Um, the only question mark with Buffalo is their quarterback. And if Josh Allen makes any kind of step forward, any kind of improvement where he becomes a, a guy that could be, you know, more, more than just um, a game manager and just mm-hmm. a little bit better, like get up into the, the Kirk cousins um, yeah. territory as, right. you know, in that like good enough to win, but maybe not, Good well, good to enough to win and win. carry their team with the defense that they have. Yeah, you know, like not good enough to carry a team, but good enough to win with. Um, if you can get up into that stratosphere, um, that roster is as good as any you'll find. And I think that uh, it, it, it comes down to him. And it, it that's only a to me that's one question mark. That's one piece. You answer one question with that roster, and you're seeing a massive win shift. Uh, there and I think that you look, you know, that their division did get a little tougher. Um, with I think Miami got better and New England didn't drop off as far as we would have expected, but um, still, you've got uh, you still got a team that it, I I actually would probably pick them to win that division. Even yeah, that'd, be inter- that'd be interesting. England. Yeah, I mean, Seattle so. faces Buffalo this year too. So mm-hmm. we'll get a chance to see them. Um, and that is where Stefan Diggs landed, correct? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah absolutely. See, that's crazy huge because then, you know, Alan has, I mean, he had weapons before, but holy cow, what a weapon. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Top 10 uh, wide receiver in my book for sure. Um, any, any other kind of, I like Arizona. So they, it's hard because they're going to be the dar- the media darling kind of club this year, uh, along with Miami um, and maybe even Tampa. Um, but I think Arizona is the dark horse pick for a lot of pundits in the AFC West, not maybe to win the division, but to be the wild card representative out of the division and that Seattle would take a step back along with the Rams and Arizona would ascend into that second spot with uh, the 49ers. Um, and if you really take a look at Arizona's roster, it's hard to argue um, w- with that theory as far as getting close. I think the, the key word is, is competitive with Arizona, with, with adding uh, DeAndre Hopkins, Jordan Phillips, defensive tackle, a couple of linebackers, and their, their two or three of their uh, draft picks are expected to start, plus their second year of their dynamic quarterback um, in Kyler Murray. Uh, it's a team to watch. It's a it's it's an interesting team for me. It, just because the Seahawks have to face them twice a year, and I do think that they're probably a year away, but they're going to make some noise this year. Maybe win a game or two that nobody expected them to win. I I don't know that I completely agree with you. Although I it wouldn't when we talk about I know we're going to talk later about you know good divisions. They, with the new playoff format, the NFC West could easily have three playoff teams. I it just, it wouldn't Absolutely. surprise me in the least. Um, and they could be one uh, between them and the Rams. It depends on what's going to happen with the Rams. But um, I think that they have a lot more holes still that they have to fill. Uh, that line, that offensive line was a disaster last year. And that's why, and I love Kyler Murray, but he was scrambling for his life back there. But I do think that his play will improve. We usually traditionally see that um, in the next year. So we'll see that. But 
I just, I don't know. I, I think that there's still a lot of question, a lot of question marks on that team, but adding Hopkins, of course, was huge for them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I think they, they went about improving the, the offense. Yeah, you get a chance to get a guy like Hopkins, you do it because he's probably the best receiver in the NFL right now. At least he, he would be on the top of my list if I was ranking them. Um, so, yeah, you have a chance to get that guy, you go get him. But if I was running that, that um, organization, I would have said, you know, we've got pieces that we can work with there. We have got to protect our franchise quarterback because he looked really good despite having no blocking. He was, I mean, this is very much a Russell Wilson situation where like Wilson looks amazing. And despite the fact he plays behind one of the worst offensive lines in football, um, <laughs> guess what? Well, Arizona is taking exactly the same uh, approach to building an offense. They've got a great quarterback who looked really good despite playing against uh, in front of or behind one of the worst offensive lines in football. And it would be, it would, I think it would have translated to more efficiency had they just gone out and spent some money and got guys that they could count on um, to give Kyler Murray some protection. I think that would have been um, a better use of their, their money, a better use of their cap space and, um, would have definitely given them a clearer path to winning. I still have a hard time seeing them string together wins because they're going to get their quarterback killed. And they play in a really difficult division. Oh, for sure. Yep. So and let's talk about what, division. Okay, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and I don't know what their run game situation is. I mean, we that that would be probably the best thing that they could do for Kyler is go out and, and you know help there too. But yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, well, I mean, then then they drafted, you know, Benjamin, too, um, who I really liked in the draft as well, to come in um, and, and help them a little bit with that. Let's talk about the divisions a little bit. And let's talk about, first of all, let's talk about Kansas City. Kansas City uh, made it to the Super Bowl last year. Um, they have uh, re-signed Chris Jones to a four-year extension. They re-signed uh, Patrick Mahomes to a 10 year, 450 million. Oh my goodness. Extension through 2031. What? Um, they had a good draft. They drafted a, uh, a running back. That's, uh, that's maybe a little better than I think is advertised. Um, they, they had a couple of different draft picks, um, throughout their, their board that I thought, uh, could come in right away and contribute, especially on special teams. Uh, they didn't really have any, major losses this last year um can they get back to the super bowl and can they win it and how strong is the afc west this year dana uh they can get back to the super bowl they can win it um i don't know that they will i think that they i think that they can they're they're probably they're without question in my mind right now the strongest team in the afc um, I think that, of course, we always say that at the beginning of the season, everything looks shiny on paper, you know, but, you know, one injury can completely derail a team, one COVID positive player. I mean, it could be just, it's chaos this year. So it's a little hard to, to, um, to talk about, but I, I think about a couple of things with the AFC West, especially with the Chiefs. The contract, I always, it's it's going to be fantastic for them for about three or four years. And yeah, then we talked about that last. Yeah, week. it's it's going to change. I I've told you know living here in Kansas City, I've told many of my friends who are Chiefs fans, I'm like, get used to life without Travis Kelsey and probably Tyreek Hill because that's going to have to happen in order to start making these adjustments and in in a few years. 
Um, Travis Kelsey only, I think, has this and next year on his contract. So we'll see. He's going to want some money. So we'll see what happens there. But um, I think that what they have um, right now for a team, super strong and fantastic. The rest of the... (laughs) The rest of that division, though, um, there are quite a few question marks. I do think that we'll see an improvement from Denver. I do think that we're going to see, um, you know, you never know. They might even pull off one of the one win out of the two with the Chiefs, usually in Denver. That mile high will get it. But um, I, I don't know for sure. Like I said, we have to see it all come together. But I think the additions that they made have going to make them a much stronger team. Do you I think have they have a, a chance to finish second in the division? I do. And that's because um, I think that there's a little bit more of a game plan there than I'm seeing necessarily out of the Raiders or the Chargers. I, I think that both those teams are in flux. And, and I always say the worst long-term contract I've ever seen is the one John Gruden got as a coach, because I don't think that that's working. <laughs> it's true. Cause I just don't think that that's working. I don't, I don't think that um, as we've seen with, uh, the Mac trade and all of that, there's just some, there's always some antagonism going on when it comes to John Gruden and either players love him or hate him. And so I think it's taking a lot longer to shake that out than they ever thought it actually would. I think what they, the situation they put them in quarter, themselves in quarterback wise is also terrible because you have Derek Carr and Marcus Mariota. We all know Gruden was real high on Marcus Mariota when he was coming out. We all, we all watched those, you know, the quarterback camps, we watched all of that. And so where are you going to go from there? How, how do you make that decision? It's not going to be quarterback by committee. You know, he can, you say, oh no, it's Derek's job. Is it really? You just brought in one of your favorite quarterbacks. So we'll see how that goes. And then, and, but they had some great young players last year. So it's going to be yeah, interesting they do. to see them. Especially make their some, defense is really starting to come around. I think so too. So that, which you have to in that division, you have to be able to at least slow down Patrick Mahomes enough that your quarterback can try and keep up. Really, that's what it comes down to. And the Chargers, I, I am so baffled by them. Um, I, I think the probably the best thing they did was get rid of Philip Rivers, and and no disrespect to Philip Rivers, um, but I think that they were stuck in a yes. rut with him, and they needed to shake that up, let him go, and he'll do just fine in Indianapolis and start new. Now, is Tyrod Taylor that person? No. But Justin Herbert, and I will say that a couple of the people I know who, who really watch college quarterbacks mm-hmm. really like this kid. Yeah, I do too. And, I do. Yeah. And so I think that that's going to be interesting to see if the same thing that happened to Tyrod in, in, with the Browns is going to happen again. I think it probably will. I think I agree with you. Yeah. But I think that y- you just never know how that team's going to come together. So I, I think the Chiefs, um, you know, without injury or whatever, I think they have a lock on that division. But then I think it really comes down to the Broncos and the Raiders. And I think the Broncos might end up with the edge there. Um, but I do will say this, and this goes for Seahawks fans too. How weird will Arrowhead be empty? You know, that is one of the good things that one of the things that, that team thrives on is the fan noise, much like Seahawks fans understand that we need that, that fan noise and, and to help them. And so I think that that is one, you know, obviously they're going to lose that even if they let, 25 to 30% of fans in it's going to be nothing. And so I think that that'll be interesting to see how other teams do without, without that fan noise. I, that's going to be one of the storylines to watch. There's going to be so many asterisks on this year. I mean, let's just, let's just face it. It's just going to be one of those years where you're just going to have to say, you know, it just, you know, if your team wins it, you're, you're the only one that's really happy. 
and mm-hmm. everyone else is going to be going like, well, we had this, we had to deal really with this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, Keith, any further thoughts and we'll kind of turn our attention to the Seahawks. Um, I think that that division is really interesting. Um, but I think the NFC West might be more interesting mm-hmm. because we've already talked about Arizona and we know they're, we, I think Dana and I agree that they're, they're not quite ready, but they're close and they've got that dynamic quarterback that everybody wishes they had. Um, and you know, that you, you know, the 49ers aren't going anywhere cause that roster's stacked yeah. and you know, the Seahawks aren't going anywhere barring a Russell Wilson injury because even like last year when the roster was okay, he willed them to 11 wins and made him a contender. And this year, I think the roster is better and he's going to will them to as many wins as he can. Um, that's what happens when you have one of the best quarterbacks in the league. And those, those three teams there are really interesting and, and could definitely see three playoff teams, especially with the new format where only one team gets a buy and another, <laughs> an, extra, an extra team gets in. Um, yeah, definitely. And then you have the Rams, who I think are have taken as big a step back as you'll see. We talked earlier about who might be the best, the most improved team. Um, the most unimproved team in the league, the Rams would fall into that category. Um, yeah. And, um, and so in, in the sense, they're going to be interesting, but in an entirely different way. Yeah, I mean, the Rams re-signed <laughs> Michael Brockers and, and Andrew Whitworth, and that was it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and Whitworth's, what, 40-something years old. Yeah. Uh, they lost Gurley. They lost Clay Matthews. They lost Dante Fowler. They lost uh, Roby Coleman. At um, Yeah, there's something going on with that organization, don't you think? I, I think with the Clay Matthews and Marcus Peters suing them because they didn't get paychecks that they were owed, and there was, like, all kinds of weird organizational things that were going on with the Rams last year. I think that, that there's, there's something going on there that we don't know about. And, you know, it can be front office and here's the team, but it always trickles down that, that kind of, you know, discontent always kind of trickles down, I think. And from what I've read from a couple of the Rams fans that I follow and, and a couple of the reporters, you know, maybe there's an issue of the Jared Goff question you know, how long do we keep going with this, you know, and that sort of thing. And so maybe there's some tension there, but I, I agree. I think they're going to go for a long time. I know they, they have to, his they, they can't exactly. And so that makes me, you know, feel like that this team is unsettled. We could really be proven wrong. I mean, they, they have a talent on that team, but I just feel like there's, it's disheveled for lack of a better word right now. And so if you look at the way the organizations of the other teams, I think the a, the NFC West is a better division than the AFC West, and that's no knock on the Chiefs. It's just because the depth isn't there. And but of the four teams in the NFC West, I think the Rams are. I think they're a big question mark. I don't know what's going on mm-hmm. there. Well, I mean, they actually they traded away, and I can't remember the name of the receiver that they had, um, Brendan Cooks, mm-hmm. um, and they took a they took a cap hit to trade him away. Like they, he cost, he's costing more on the cap in dead money this year than it would have had he stayed on the team and played. And this was their best receiver last year. Um, to me, that, that just screams we're rebuilding and we don't care. Um, right. Cause we're like, we are we this really good player. We're going to trade him care that we're taking this cap hit. Yeah. Get him off the books. Not right. try 
get them off the book so that a year from now exactly. uh, we can get out from underneath some of this. Um, same thing when they, they, they let Gurley go and, you know, now they got his big contract coming off the books a year from now. Um, and they are, I don't see them as really trying. And the one question mark I have with that team uh, going forward is who is Jared Goff? Because he's been in the league now for four years. He's had uh, two really bad years one really good year and then one pretty dang mediocre year. Mm-hmm. Um, so which one of those is he? Rams fans will tell you it was the one really good year. Um, and, you know, most Seahawks fans will tell you it's the two really bad years. <laughs> and I think the answer is probably the one mediocre year that we saw. Because um, that's in the middle. And honestly, they're paying $35 million a year to a mediocre player. Right. And that's yeah. going to that's going to crush you. See, yes, the Seahawks are paying thirty-five million. The Seahawks are paying thirty-five million a year for their quarterback too, but they got one of the best players in the NFL mm-hmm. for that money, mm-hmm. who wills them to victories that they probably don't deserve to win. Um, the Rams. And Jared Goff can't carry that team. No, Russell no. Wilson can carry the team. Jared Goff can't. I will tell you, we. I have this um, series I do over at Our Turf. It's called Fan Forum, and I have six fans from all over the league, and one of them is Rams fan, and. Um, he sent me a message. He goes, thank God. This is after Patrick Mahomes got his contract. He's like, thank God people will stop talking about Jared Goff's contract. And I'm like, <laughs> no, they won't. They're still going to talk about it because yeah. they are stuck, like you said, with it and, and with the player that, that probably hasn't earned it. Yeah, you know, when, when he signed that, when the, when the Rams offered him that, they were kind of stuck in a sense because he had performed okay up until that point and they needed to retain him. Um, because they were a Super Bowl team. They felt like they couldn't make that change at the top at mm-hmm. that point. And so they paid him. And uh, yeah, just, ugh. So um, how about the Seahawks? Let's, let's talk Seahawks football. I mean, that's kind of why we're here, right? <laughs> um, so the Seahawks, speaking of rosters, let's talk about the roster a little bit. Let's, you know, the losses, and then let's talk about the additions. And then you said... I think the Seahawks have a better roster this year. Let's find out. So they they technically didn't lose a Jadavian Clowney yet. He hasn't signed, but he's off the roster. Ziggy Ons is gone. Justin Britt, Quentin Jefferson, Al Woods, Jermaine Effetti. Those are the big guys that left. Um, they added Carlos Hyde, Greg Olson, B.J. Finney, Cedric Abue, Brandon Shell, Quentin Dunbar, Philip Dorsett, Chance Warmack, Benson Mayoa, Bruce Irvin, Lyndon Stevens likely competes um, for the slot corner spot, plus all their draft picks. Jordan Brooks, Daryl Taylor, Damian Lewis, Colby Parkinson, DJ Dallas, Alton Robinson, etc. So with that said, and you take a look at that, how did the Seahawks stack up with everyone else? It seems like inside this room, we're all very positive about that. Outside this room, other than you know, hardcore Seahawks fans, the Seahawks are diminishing. The roster is getting older. It's not as good. Mm-hmm. The offensive line is bad. The defensive line, pro football focus, just ranked it dead last in the NFL. Which is it? Is it an improved roster, or or do you agree with those guys? Anybody? I think um, people who listen to the show know my take on it. I think it's an improved roster. Um, they're better at at wide receiver they're um just as deep probably deeper at running running back because with Hyde there um dj dallas and their 
Um, they'll get Penny back at some point. Um, the wide receiver group, especially with uh, Metcalf now going into the second year, is very good. Um, the secondary will be better because you've got um, digs for the whole year rather than six games. Um, I'm going to count on Dunbar playing when I say this because I think that's a big improvement. We don't know if he's going to be able to play and, and all that. Like we can we can debate that. It's a different topic. Um, they have more a lot more depth and, and speed at linebacker uh, with Brooks. Um, and the defensive line, I mean, you're talking, okay, they lost Ziggy Ansah. That's a name, but he, they got zero production out of him. Um, he is probably the easiest player to uh, replace. Um, you know, the, the defensive tackles are the same. It really, they lost Clowney. The other changes um, up for that. And I think when you add uh, you added four different guys to replace the pass rush of Cloudy, um, that spreads it out a little bit. It creates takes pressure off people. You don't have one guy getting double teamed on every play, and the other guys still can't help. You know, can attack from different angles and all that kind of stuff. Um, I see it as an improvement. And the offensive line, while um, it's unproven, it's wait and see. I mean, last year was just straight up bad. So I think that um, it, it won't get worse. I mean, it literally won't. You, it's not going to get worse than a Fetty and Joey Hunt. Um, it, that's just not going to happen. And so you are, you're looking at, it, at, a, at an offensive line that should be improved just on the fact that it exists and um, potentially be much better. It's a pass-blocking offensive line for the first time in Russell Wilson's career because both Shell and Finney are well-known for being better pass mm-hmm. rushers or pass blockers than run blockers. So you've got a situation where Wilson should have uh, better protection, more time. Even if the overall quality is roughly the same, it's better in the right way in that it's going to be a better pass blocking one. It's going to uh, be better for the team efficiency. I see this as an improved roster because they lost one player that was really a player and a playmaker and someone that mattered. And that is uh clowny on the line. Everyone else they lost is replaceable. replaceable. I mean, just straight up. But the only other one yeah. um, would have been uh, the defensive tackle, the backup. Um, Quentin Jefferson. Yeah. No. Al Woods. Oh, uh, Al Woods. Oh, I um, did like Al Woods too. Yeah. He was good. Uh, Quentin, Quentin Jefferson was really good in two games and he put up a lot of stats in those two games. The rest of the time he's kind of forgettable, um, but he did play really well in those two games. Um, and I think that, okay. Yeah. I, I, he's replaceable. I mean, you can replace that, those stats. You can replace that contribution. Um, Al Woods is a problem because they didn't replace that. And they need someone to be that third defensive tackle in that rotation. Mm-hmm. And they don't have that right now. So that to me is, is the concern. It's, it's Clowney and Woods. Um, they replaced Clowney with four people. And they just need to find someone that can come in and replace Woods' snaps. And I yeah. think this is a improved roster overall. And John Clayton does uh, expect the Seahawks to sign a defensive tackle in the next couple of weeks. So we'll, we'll see. Dana, what is your thought on the overall roster, what they did in free agency, and what they did in the draft to improve? Well, you know, here, I, I look at it this way. I, I still haven't written Clowney off. I, I, I don't know that, that really? Clowney won't just, you know, get into camp and be like, 
all right, well, screw it. The best deal I got was out of Seattle. I'm already here. I might as well stay. I, I don't know that that will happen, but I haven't really written it off yet. Um, but I think you're right. They, they will end up signing a tackle. At, they, they have to at some point. And, and I don't know if it's just because I think, again, it's such a weird year. They can't bring guys in for physicals. We don't know. They can't really talk to them other than by Zoom. And so, you know, I think that this, that has put kind of the brakes on a lot of this. Um, I was sad to see Quentin Jefferson go. I, I thought that he did play well. And, yeah, he had two really good games. But I just thought he was solid. Is he replaceable? Probably he is. But I just thought that he really played well in the system. I liked him. Um, I'm a Bruce Irvin fan and I know people aren't big fans of getting the band back together, but I think that was probably one of the smarter things that Seattle did. You know, I think last year he had nine sacks, which was more than any player on our team had. And so I think that that is good. He already knows the system. He already, he's so damn excited to be back in Seattle. I think that energy is really good. I mean, I don't know if you guys follow him on Twitter, but he's jacked. He's so excited. So I think that that, that energy will be good. E- even if we only get half production out of him, that's still four and a half sacks. I'll take it. You know what I mean? So I think that that'll be good. Um, I was really excited about Dunbar. That was the one I was really excited about. I thought he was a good pickup. I was excited about Dorsett too. We'll see how that turns out. But I was really excited about Dunbar. I don't think he's going to play this year. And that breaks my heart a little bit, not because of the situation he's in, that's his deal, but just because I would think he was such going to be such a good piece for Seattle. I so actually I do in, think he's going to play. Do you? That yeah. would make me happy. I'm not going to lie. I, I I know that's probably not an ethical thing to say, but I, it'd be all right with me. So, well, um, just <laughs> well it's okay to root for your own team to have the right. players that you want exactly. them to have. I right. think he'll play only because I think the legal system is kind of screwed up right now. Dragging its feet, maybe, yeah. In Miami, they haven't prosecuted a case since March. Things are really getting pushed out there. Right. Uh, things are up in the air so much mm-hmm. so that I don't, he's already gotten permission uh, from the district attorney to travel uh, to Seattle for work. True. Um, and I don't see anything really changing other than the fact that the prosecution could pr- could press formal charges sure. at that point when you have formal charges against you the league could put you on the uh the the, the you can't play list the non-available and, list yeah exactly and mm-hmm. so that could disrupt the whole thing but other than that i see him starting uh, training camp i would be totally playing. good with that i'd be all right with that now when we talk about the rookies i will tell you that or i mean the draft class um, I, I think there's been a lot of people talking about, um, the fifth round pick, um, Alton Robinson. I think people are excited to see him. Um, and there's a lot of people who think that he's going to end up a starter. And so we will see that he'll compete right away. Um, I will tell you that I have a couple of friends who know the Miami football team really well. And they, when we did, uh, it was, is it DJ Dallas out of Miami, the running back? They were like, you got a bruiser. This kid is good. And so that kind of made me excited about that. God knows we could use as many running backs as, we get. as quickly as we lose the, as Seattle loses them. Um, I think that that'll be good. I'm excited to have Chris Carson back. I think that'll be great. Penny would be good to come back to you. But I guess this kid is, is pretty solid. And, and even if he ends up, you know, on special teams or whatever, it'll, it'll be fun to watch him play. Um, but Robinson is the one everyone seems to be really jacked about. His tape is crazy um, good. I mean, his, mm-hmm. his first step will remind you of Michael Bennett's first step. I mean, the guy is 
He lives in the backfield. He's super disruptive. The problems with him, the reason why he dropped in the fifth round, had nothing to do with his football skills. Um, and that right there is it's scary in its own right, right? Because this is a guy that has some off-the-field stuff and some maturity issues and some other off-the-field stuff. And, and we don't know, you know how volatile that situation ends up being. But his football skills, no, if, if he was being drafted and none of that other stuff, he would, be, um, he would have been drafted much, much higher than mm-hmm. the fifth draft. His, yeah. No, he's got the measurables he, and yeah. the testing numbers and so forth to be a second or third round pick. There's no question. Um, in 2018, he had 39 tackles, 10 sacks, 17 tackles for loss, and three forced fumbles. That outperformed his 2019 stats, but it isn't just about stats. It's about effectiveness, the way you are used, little injuries and, and dings um, that kind of get to you uh, throughout a season. So he's definitely one to watch. I mean, exciting, a guy that can can really have a lot of speed, quick twitch. You know, he's known for his, his burst, um, just like Daryl Taylor. I mean, those guys are going to be quite a little tandem uh, in a rotation for years to come, I think. Um, Benson Mayoa may get the initial snaps out of the gate this year, but those guys are going to be right behind him pushing every single week to get playing time and will get playing time, I believe, mm-hmm. in this defense. Only because last year we were ranked, what, 27th against the run, 27th, you know, rushing the passer, all that kind of crap, right? And, it, and, and guys like Taylor and Robinson just weren't available on the roster. I mean, we had Rasheem Green, plays a completely different style, different mm-hmm. position, et cetera. We really, Ansa just wasn't getting it done, and we didn't have anything behind Ansa last year to help us uh, with the pass rush. And now we've got Mayoa and uh, the two rookies at that spot to really be able to affect the, the passer. I see a combined sack total of those guys, at least 10, maybe even 12, all three of those guys combined, um, which would greatly improve the overall uh, pass rush ability of the defense. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, compare compare that with those and those three guys to what they had last year, which was Ansa and then um, uh, Shaquem Griffin, the undersized linebacker who they had come up and play defensive end mm-hmm. uh, in passing situations because Ansa was so ineffective. Um, I mean, that's really – that's who they had. That was those were the options as, as far as a pass rusher goes on that side of the of the line. They had nothing, nothing out of that. Um, okay. Other than you know, I mean, Griffin had some had some uh, some decent pressures, but even that, his pressure uh, success rate wasn't that high. Well, he got washed um, out just as often. Yeah, and he didn't convert them into actual sacks. So he he, he got a lot of pressure, but didn't convert them into sacks. And um, and, you know, to have these three guys, I think all of which are better than the two guys they had last year, um, that to me is a serious upgrade where it needed to be upgraded. Um, that was that, that side of the line was the weakest link uh, on the defense, it, not named um, uh, Tedrick Thompson. Right, um, <laughs> and, it, and Taylor, the, the yeah, the the, the, uh, the slot corner guy. Yeah. Well, yeah, Jamar Taylor, but um, you know, it, there were there were serious holes last year. Jamar Taylor was one, uh, Tedrick Thompson was one, and the um, Ansa side of the uh, the defensive line was one. Those were the three big big problems on the thing. Right. Um, we fixed the free safety problem with Diggs. They. Um, 
hopefully have fixed the, the slot corner problem with um, uh, Ugo Amadi, and hopefully they've fixed the defensive line issue with three different guys that can all play. So uh, to me, I, I think you'll, you'll get the defense, and that's where they needed to improve the most, and I see improvement. Mm-hmm. So Dana, let me ask you this. Let's mm-hmm. stay on the defensive side of the ball. And let's talk about okay. linebackers really quick. Cause okay. I, I'm glad you're here. I got somebody else to talk to other than uh, Keith. Love you, Keith. <laughs> but I want a second opinion here. Uh, let's talk uh, what we've got and what we added. Bobby Wagner, KJ Wright. Those guys have been awesome. KJ has been uh, underrated for a while. I struggled with injuries for a couple of years. A uh, couple of years came back last year, had a really kind of nice solid season. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Hendrick Kendricks moved on. Uh, he really struggled with tackling last year, um, but but this year and, and Cody Barton sitting there as well. Then we drafted Jordan Brooks. Okay, so I want to know what you expect. The team says that Jordan Brooks is likely kind of a will linebacker, might take the place of KJ Wright, and that KJ Wright would. Um, and this is right out of Pete Carroll's mouth. Would. Uh, move over to the strong side linebacker spot where Kendricks was last year and mm-hmm. take some snaps there as, as well as Irvin um, being there. Um, odd man out looks to be Cody Barton. Um, Jordan Brooks looks to be the starter at will. How do you think that whole thing kind of comes together? Um, and did you like the Jordan Brooks signing um, in the first round of the 2020 draft for the Seahawks? You know, I, I, I think that a lot of us assumed or here's the thing with the Seahawks draft. One can never assume we've learned that over the years. Right. So first of all, I was pretty happy. We even had a first round pick because we often don't, um, but <laughs> you know, they often get rid of that. But I really thought that they would go pass rush. I really thought that they, that, or linemen, there were some good linemen left up there too. They, so they went, they went with the kid and I, I think he'll be good. I, I know that there was, he had got a, a draft grade, everything from a B to an F and that, so for that grade. And so it always just comes down to opinion and how we think we'll do. Here's, I think what, what it is in the linebacker situation. Bobby Wagner is still one of the, if not the best linebacker in the league. We know that he has, I don't think he's slowed down much, even though we're on your, what, nine now, or eight, nine, whatever we're at with those guys, which is hard to believe. I remember when they were. Yeah, as long as Bobby Wagner can stay clean, he can play. He'll, he'll be great. We right. did see quite a drop off when KJ Wright wasn't in the game. And so I think that that brought a lot of attention, you know, to KJ, because the minute he was back, they were better. And so when you say he's underrated, I completely agree with you there. I think that we don't see, but he does get injury. And I think this is the last year of the extension. I believe one more year. So that's going to be, so I think when they brought in Brooks is to see, can we live without KJ Wright? That that's really what that draft was about you know about that signing was about was is is do we need to re-sign KJ is KJ at the end of his career and this kid can step in so that's going to be something to watch this year um but what I think that Seattle has done beautifully with their linebackers is they have made them interchangeable for the most part they move around the field very well and I think that they'll just continue to do that Cody Barton had some good moments last year. He, he popped a couple of times. Is he a star? Is he someone that fans will lament if he's gone? I don't think so. But I do think that he, he had his moments. Um, Solid. Yeah. Like he's just like, he's a good kid. You know what I mean? For lack of a better term. But at the same time, 
if they're expanding the rosters, maybe he ends up staying. We'll have to kind of see how that goes. But, but I think that, that truly the Brooks bringing, drafting Brooks was purely a KJ Wright move. I think that that's what that was there for. Out of the, out of the draft, what's your favorite pick? I think I really like Robinson. I think you're right about that. I liked Dallas. Oh, who was the kid from the second round? What's, I get their names mixed. Well, they were Taylor, but yeah, uh, Taylor. then Damian Lewis was the lineman in the third round. In the third round. No, Taylor, I think, was pretty good, too. Lewis seems to be really popular also, but I, I think I really liked I, I really liked Taylor. I think that that one is a good signing, too. But then again, I always say you got to do this. You got to go see who they picked in the seventh round because they always end up shining one way or another. <laughs> so we got well, a little Stephen Sullivan about, out of that I was going to talk about Freddie Swain and, and Stephon yeah. Sullivan a little bit, right? <laughs> so Stephon it. Sullivan, they came back into the draft and picked. They didn't have a seventh rounder. They came back and got him. And mm-hmm. then Freddie Swain, uh, yesterday when I was kind of prepping for the show, I watched some more video on Freddie Swain. And I was like, you know, I get it. I get why they picked mm-hmm. Freddie Swain. Two things. Uh, he can be he can develop into a really nice slot wide receiver for the team. Uh, he's very quick and sudden, and he can also get open uh, down the field, down the seams as well. But the guy's an amazing return guy. I think that he's going to be put in a position this year to take over for um, Tyler Lockett in the return game um, as their primary okay. kickoff returner and punt returner this year. It wouldn't surprise me. Um, I understand that Amadi's going to get a shot there as well, but Freddie Swain's the guy that they're going to be looking at um, to take over that role. And he did very well in college. Um, he had a couple of returns in college where I was excited. Like I got excited watching him. Um, he just made some moves that are, you just can't teach and uh, he'll be exciting to watch. Um, Stefan Sullivan, I watched the LSU. What was it? I can't remember who LSU was playing now. Uh, it was a replay on on ESPN over the weekend. And Stefan Sullivan um, had a couple of different catches and was used as a decoy uh, quite a few different times. Um, and he's a really big body. He, he's got a really nice physique. Um, and if he switches to wide receiver, I can totally see that. He ran a 4.6640 at 255 pounds or whatever it was. And if he can get down to 230, 235 and run in the 4.5 range, I think that's a really good uh, opportunity for him to come in and maybe take a look at taking over for what's, what's the wide receiver's name that's currently like third, fourth wide receiver that has more. Uh, David Moore. Yeah. David Moore mm-hmm. kind of take over that David, David Moore. Moore role. You know, I read about when they, when the Seattle picked him up, one of the things I read in one of the draft wrap ups was that um, he was going to be their project that had the most upside and that if he was brought along properly, that he could really end up turning out to be kind of a steal for Seattle, but he's a project. He's got to mm-hmm. be brought along properly first. And so that, that's exciting because, you know, we, we need more of those weapons. Seattle needs more of those weapons for Russell and those bigger bodies. You know, I always say Tyler Lockett's teeny. He's, he, you know, we got to be careful with him. We need some more <laughs> of the big guys to take over. That's funny. Well, at yeah. one point, at one point it was, um, it was uh, Richardson, Lockett, and Doug Baldwin so were the three top receivers. And I'm like, this got to be the smallest one. Yeah, they were tiny. 
Um, and now, I mean, you know, Baldwin retired and, and Richardson's on and, and still there, and he's incredibly productive. Um, one of the most efficient receivers in the game. Now, look at look at what they've got for him. You know, Josh Gordon is probably coming back at 6'3". Yeah. You've got uh, Metcalf at 6'4". You've got Swain at 6'4". Or, sorry, it's not Swain, but Sullivan at 6'4". Um, I mean, they're going after big bots for Russell. Yeah. They... they well, Phyllis Dorsett is what five ten or whatever, but that's it. I think uh, Freddie Swain's yeah. six foot. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Ursula is a small guy too, right? The big guys. Yeah, John. Ursa yeah, he's like three. Guy. He's like three foot four or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, um, he, he's he is like he is um, he's Tyler Lockett sized. I mean, they're he's an undersized guy, um, but they do they have gone out and made a point of getting mm-hmm. um, Russ some big bodies too, uh, Heath, I got a especially in the red zone. Sure. Uh, out of all the additions this year, draft picks and free agents, who's the biggest difference maker that they've brought in this year? Um, that is a great question. That's tough uh, one. It, here's the thing. It comes down to whether or not he plays and it's going to be um, Quentin Dunbar. I think he has the potential to be the biggest difference maker. He could also not play because of his legal <laughs> issues. Um, and so therefore he doesn't make any difference whatsoever. Um, and at that point, it becomes harder for me to, to figure that out. Yeah. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to go totally underrated. I'm going to, I'm and under the radar. I'm going to say Carlos Hyde. Uh, You you should say BJ Finney, but I'm thinking Carlos Hyde. I think Carlos Hyde is damn near as good as Chris Carson in this offense with this line and the way that they want to run the football and make a statement. I think Carlos Hyde is underrated and could definitely Mm -hmm. come in and be everything that we thought Penny was going to be able to do and have a, just a really nice one, two punch Mm -hmm. with no drop off. That's something that's really important for this team. Yeah. So one of the um, analysts came out with a w- with a new um, rating system, and it was for running backs, and it was um, anticipated yards or something. I can't even remember what it was, but they had a top ten of basically what they're expecting these running backs to do this year, and how they figured it out, and blah blah yards blah. Yards over expected. Um, yeah, something along that. Right. It just came out today. I was just reading it. In that top ten, Chris Carson and Carlos Hyde. Yeah, Carson was six. Hyde was eight. Yeah. In that, in that. If you look at yards after contact per attempt, Chris Carson is third, Carlos Hyde is fourth. That is um, fantastic. Nobody's talking about Carlos Hyde, but I'm telling you, they get enough carries in this offense where he's going to make, I think, the largest impact on the, on the team this year that, that, that we fun. brought yeah. in. I will say, again, if I had to throw in, it's not a new addition this year, but it was a new addition last year. I think having digs there for longer, mm-hmm. I think that changes oh. a lot. Well, you, saw what happened. you saw what happened. He was only for six games. He only played six no. games. Um, but the difference between what that defense looked like with digs on the back end mm-hmm. and what they looked like without him was huge it was huge and they were a good defensive team when Diggs was healthy and yep. and on the roster uh and when he was before they before the trade and before he got um you know when, when he wasn't on the or when, he, when he wasn't on the field um the defense was pretty bad and i it, it, that I, it's really hard to understate just um how 
sorry, it's hard to overstate just how much of an impact he can have. More so than look at Trey Flowers. When it was um, Tendrick Thompson back there, uh, Flowers struggled. And the moment they made that switch and they got Diggs in there, Flowers started having good games again, like he did his rookie year. Um, Are you at all like, worried about Diggs being healthy? A little, because this is a team that, or this is a player that has had some injury issues. But I liked, I really liked what I saw from Marquise Blair uh, last yeah. year. And yeah. I think that they've got a nice group of three safeties, yeah. all good enough to start. Um, and whichever, um, you know, if, if Diggs ends up hurt and they have Blair back there, I think they'll be okay. Um, ideally you want Diggs back there. You want Blair up you know, closer to the line of scrimmage and um, that yeah. kind of stuff. But I, I like their group of three, their, their top three safeties. I think they're in good shape there. Plus Amati in a pinch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So what's the best position group on the team uh, as far as just overall talent, Dana? What do you think? Quarterback. <laughs> so, oh, was that the obvious answer? I'm sorry. That's <laughs> There's Russell Wilson I, I and was, it doesn't matter who else is in really the room. It really does not matter yeah. who else. And honestly, um, you could do a lot worse at backup quarterback than Geno Smith. And you right. could do a lot worse at project third string quarterback than um, uh, Anthony Gordon. Gordon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, so I actually like the great answer. Yeah, I, I like Geno Smith there. I, I was real glad when he came back. And, and I mm-hmm. think that because I, there, there's not that dread, you know, it's like, oh, God, if something should happen, even for one play, you know, to Russell Wilson, who are you putting in there? Some, you know, 21 year old kid who's never thrown in the NFL before? No. And so I like that. I like that there's a little experience. They have similar, similar styles. So I think that that I feel comfortable there. And so where when does Seattle take the time to actually develop something? At quarterback, um, yeah. when Russell Wilson's 42. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, Maybe you take a 40. look at like the no, New England example and you take a yeah. look at Tom Brady's backups over the years and they've developed two or three different quarterbacks that they've got compensation for over the years. Seattle mm-hmm. really hasn't taken that approach. Just wondering, curious if maybe they change that this year with Anthony Gordon sticks around on the practice squad. They protect him a little bit so he doesn't get picked off. And they take some time with him over the next two or three years to kind of take over that second spot. I think the expansion of the practice squad will lead them to that. There was a shift um, that happened in the league around 2010 where teams stopped carrying three quarterbacks and went to carrying two. Mm -hmm. And in that, in, in those instances, what you saw were teams, um, not developing quarter like young quarterbacks anymore because they had their starter. They had their, um, veteran backup in case the starter got hurt. And that's what contending teams did. And the teams that, um, you know, you draft, get a high draft pick or whatever, and, and there you are, your starter, and then you have a veteran behind them, or you have a team that's just bad and they go, you know, go young at the position and see what we can find. Um, but you didn't really have that, okay, we've got a starter and now we've got a young player that we're developing behind them. Because if you have a franchise quarterback, and they get hurt. You want something behind. You, you want something behind them that you can trust. You need mm-hmm. that veteran yep. to step in. And so, when teams stopped carrying that third quarterback on the roster, you saw that um, late round developmental guy 
uh, kind of disappear across the league. Just well, they used that roster spot for something else instead. You know, they, they yeah. saved that spot for another another need. Um, I, I do think that we're going to see start to see a little bit more of that um, just as we're seeing less and less quarterbacks coming out of college hit right away. You know, we're, we're not seeing, you know, them. we're also not letting them carry a clipboard, like you said, in 2010 for a year. You know, they don't have the Aaron Rodgers luxury of having far in front of far in front of him for a while. And so I think that they're going to want to start to develop these kids. Plus, as these quarterbacks decide to play longer into their career, you know, as they're like, they're not done at 35, they're done at 45. There's more likely an injury, more likely an issue. So then they're going to want that younger person there instead of just the veteran. And, and it's, it's, it's kind of too bad. So Lisa, who um, writes for the Miami Dolphins for us, she is a true believer. If you draft someone in the first round, they start. That's their job. You are a starter no matter what, especially in a quarterback. And we argue back and forth about whether or not those young kids need a year. And I always bring up Patrick Mahomes. He got to sit behind Alex Smith, who truly is one of the professionals of this league. He, I love Alex Smith. And so, you know, he got to sit and learn and then come in. And I think that that's important. And I hope that they bring that back a little bit. I think it's very beneficial for the game in general. Well, it's very beneficial for uh, the player. I think that's it's been well documented that uh, there's a lot of bad habits that can be learned um, by starting week one when you're, you're still learning the protections and that kind of stuff. And then, but, and you also have to make the plays, just the, the, the speed of the game transition. And, and it's, you can create a lot of bad habits by starting um, a quarterback too early, but your point on, on it being better for the game, it's better for the NFL. If, because you end up with a higher quality of level of play by letting these guys develop properly. Yeah. I think that's why everyone was excited about the XFL, just being mm-hmm. kind of an, really you know, a, a developmental league, if you will, um, mm-hmm. as well as getting some, you know, larger exposure on TV and stuff. It really was about developing talent. And um, I think the league would be best served, you know, really well served for, for having a developmental league um, formally where players can develop, have playing time, get experience, be able to come up or, you know, back down throughout a season or whatever. Um, one final question mm-hmm. before we, before we wrap this thing up last couple of weeks on the show, Keith and I have done a, um, um, breakout player, um, on offense and defense, uh, five, five each, five on defense, five on offense. One of those players on offense that we both had was wide receiver DK Metcalf. And he had a great rookie year, but we still expect him to break out even further. And I wanted to find out from you, uh, Dana, what you think of DK Metcalf. And, and last year we spent the whole year kind of tamping down our expectations of him so that we weren't putting extra pressure on him like we had anything to do with it. <laughs> um, this year, though, the, the reins seem to be off. And he's, it's going to be wide open for him. What do you think uh, he does this year? I, I was so impressed with what he did last year because like you, I was like, well, we'll see. You know, you, you heard the talk around the draft and blah, 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 and all the people and everything. And, and so I, I didn't have a lot of expectation. And then you saw him after a few games and you're like, every game he gets a little better. You could see it start to evolve. So by the end of the season, he was fantastic. 
I think he will become the premier wide receiver for Seattle. And I think this is the year he'll do it. As you guys well know that, you know, players make a huge jump from year one to year two, just because they're more settled. And he seems super focused. I mean, he's kind of a goofy guy. I mean, if you watch like his Instagram and stuff, he's kind of a fun, goofy guy. But he was working out with Russell. He's, you know, still in it, working out like crazy. And he has set a pretty high bar for himself. And I think that that a lot of times for players is one of the most important things that they can do is set their own bar. And he expects to be the best. And I love that. Um, I think that, I, I think that that, big, huge receiver. I think what maybe they thought they were going to get out of Jimmy Graham, you know, with a big body and the super tall or whatever and the fast, but he's so fast. And, and that I think that now he understands the game, not that he didn't understand football before, but they just understand the game at a different level that second year. I think he's just going to skyrocket. I, I am so excited and I'm not an offense lover. I love defense. And so for me to get excited about an offensive player is kind of rare. So so I, I, I think he's going to be fantastic. I will say, um, like, when uh, he's – Bill's right. We, we spent most of the time being like, it's, it's Seattle's a low-volume offense. We're talking about a rookie. We're talking about a rookie who didn't have a lot of – he had a lot of I – mean, he didn't have a lot of, like, uh, production in college. It's going to be slow. Like, you know, we were, we were just saying, keep your, your expectations low. And he blew our expectations away. Um, well, and Pete but, Carroll in the in the preseason, if in training camp, was glowing about this kid. And Pete Carroll never glows about a rookie, you know, unless it's Bobby Wagner, <laughs> you know, or Russell Wilson or whatever. And it's like if he's on that same level of expectation level for for Pete Carroll, um, and he's saying it out loud in public for everyone to consume, mm-hmm. you they know, they can write it down. <laughs> yeah, and so and so we're like, wait a minute, wait, we can't believe Pete Carroll. He's just all being fluffy and Pete Carroll ish, right? Mm-hmm. No, yep. not no, he wasn't. He was accurate. Very yeah, accurate. Uh, I I think that uh, Metcalf made a lot of fans uh, happy, and just and he created a lot of fans for himself. Not what with even before he got on the field when he showed up uh, for that first uh, like thing in the locker room and, and, and press kind of thing that was going on. And he was wearing the, the old school Steve Largie jersey. And you saw that and you're like, you know, this isn't like a, this is just what he's wearing. It's not like a stage mm-hmm. thing or whatnot. And you're like, this kid gets it. He yep. just gets it. And, he bought and I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, I, I can't help it. I'm going to be a fan of this kid. And he did not disappoint. So I'm, I'm hoping I'm not setting myself up to be disappointed by having these really high expectations, but physically he is, you know, right there with Hopkins and Julio Jones and AJ green. And that, that's that kind of dominant player. Um, That's where he is physically. He's only in the second year. We'll see what he does, but the talent is there. Anything else? Let me tell you, I'm going to tell you a funny story real quick. Sure. So I'm not someone who buys jerseys very often. And so the very, very, very first jersey I bought, um, well, that's not true. I had a Walter Jones jersey, but that was put away because he was not playing. He was retired. And then he was in the hall. So, but then I bought a Richard Sherman jersey and then he left. So to replace that, I got a Doug Baldwin jersey and then he left. And so I did not buy another jersey until this last December. I got a 12th man jersey because I thought 
That's it. They can't leave, right? And now we probably won't have fans in the stands. So I'm making a pledge that <laughs> I will never buy another Seahawks jersey again. That's I will funny. stick to t-shirts because apparently <laughs> it is a curse. So while I really want a Marshawn Lynch jersey because I think that him coming back last year was the highlight of the season for me. You have no idea how big of a fan I am of Marshawn Lynch. It was the highlight of the year for me. I'm not buying that jersey because I don't want anything to happen to him. That's funny. So, I just want everyone to know I apologize for buying the 12th man jersey because now there are no fans in the stands. So I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> so we can, uh, we can name Dana for COVID. It's all her fault. <laughs> it is all my um, fault. <laughs> <and> <laughs> it is. It's bad of me. Well, I did go out and buy a Metcalf jersey, I have to admit. I, I'm not a huge jersey guy either. I only own three of them uh, yeah. over over all the years, but um, Medcalf to me is special and he's going to be around for a while. He's going to be mm-hmm. one of those core uh, guys that you're going to keep on the team for at least two contracts. And so I went out and, and did the Jersey thing yep. for him because my I, son did the same. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. All right. Let's wrap this thing up. Um, thanks for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate it. Both Keith and I, um, it's always a pleasure to have you on. You're very insightful and just to have another perspective and, and voice, uh, on the show, especially as we get closer to training camp, everyone's kind of get excited, check in with all the other uh, teams in the league and, and your focus on the AFC West and stuff. That was very interesting. So thank you um, for spending the time uh, with us uh, today. Oh, thanks for having me. You know, I love coming on here anytime you guys want. I love it. So I appreciate it. What are you doing that. next week? Huh? <laughs> I'm available. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. We'll see. All right. You know, you're, you're only the, what is the Keith, the third guest we've ever had on the show, really? Yeah, we've only had, we've had, we've had three guests on the show and um, we've and only had guests on, on the times. show five. We've only had guests on the show five times and you've been three of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks guys. That's How about awesome. that? <laughs> you get a special prize now. Well, thank you. Yeah. All right. So um, you can find Dana on Twitter. Uh, where, where can we find you on Twitter? So it's at Dana OG. It's D-A-Y-N-A-O-G. And then of course, over at OurTurfFB.com, you can always find us there too. Nice. You can find Keith at Myers NFL. I'm at NWC Hawk. The show is at Hawks Playbook on Twitter. SeahawksPlaybook.com has all of the shows, the podcast, and um, you can subscribe to the show there as well uh, on any of your favorite podcast apps. So until next time, go Hawks. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. Seahawks Playbook Podcast listeners, thanks for joining us for another edition of the show. You can find us on Twitter. Bill is at NWSeahawk. Keith is at Myers NFL. The show is at Hawks Playbook. And you can listen and subscribe to the show at SeahawksPlaybook.com.